So, you know, in this episode, I want to bring up a discussion I had with Deepak Chopra, where we disagreed. So, he has a concept called meta-human. Uh, where a human, it's a human with all the electronics in them, uh, all the electrodes and electronics to monitor your neurological system, uh, to detect that are you going to get too angry and stop it, or are you are you turn, going to turn violent and call the cops and things like that. So there's uh, Elon Musk is at the cutting edge developing these, and the Pentagon is doing it, and Chinese are doing it. So it starts with uh, uh, monitoring. Uh, right now, they're monitoring externally, they're not internally, but they're monitoring externally. They're monitoring uh, all sorts of little details about your profile, what you do on social media and all that. And that al already is very powerful to figure you out uh, and to mimic you, even impersonate you without being conscious at all. The machine, the algorithm can impersonate you. But imagine when there's electrodes that can uh, look at the pattern of uh, neurological uh, behavior when you experience something as opposed to something else. And this, this uh, ability to capture for each individual, what are the patterns that correspond to different things? And not only reading you, reading what's going on and reporting it to somebody that is sitting there somewhere, pushing buttons, making decisions about you, not only reading, but also feeding you uh, feeding you a pattern which will make you happy because it has recorded the pattern, the neurological burst, the neural burst, the neural network behavior corresponding to when you're eating an ice cream. Uh, so now it can play back that pattern and make you feel like you're eating ice cream, even if you're not. Uh, so everything from sexual experience to experiencing like you're an athlete and you are hitting a ball and everybody's uh, you know, applauding at you, uh, to the feeling that you're going down Mount Everest and you're, or you're going down Niagara Falls and you're having that excitement. All of that, uh, what I call hacking your first person, hacking your selfhood, uh, is, is being developed. And, you know, it will be launched as something good because it'll, it'll uh, monitor bipolar, it'll monitor suicide, It'll monitor people who are rapists and it'll, it'll, it'll uh, instead of throwing you into prison, maybe they can put an electrode and then they can monitor you and make sure you don't do any harm. So a uh, lot of different ways to bring this into the human body and human brain and then turn this into entertainment. So now that you can live in a fantasy world. You can live in a, uh, if you subscribe to a, say 10 years from now, you subscribe to Netflix, then with these electrodes, uh, if you have a lower level subscription or a medium level or a higher level subscription, according to your subscription, you will get a certain amount of, you will get one ice cream a week or five ice creams a week, or uh, you will have an orgasm once a week or once a day, depending on what purchase, what you subscribe to. And so basically, the human being would be turned into what Deepak Chopra called transhuman, or met, he called it metahuman. A lot of others like the World Economic Forum, they've called it transhumans. And then there are people in, uh, uh, there are people who are calling this post-human. But whatever the vocabulary is, you have a bionic entity. Uh, you have an enhanced human with, with all this uh, electronic capability, which gives you more power and capacity 
because maybe your heart will function better and you'll be a better athlete and more eyes you can play games better but also uh, the ability to control you uh, the, somebody else can push your buttons that somebody else could be the government it could be google giving you rights and in exchange for being able to monitor you and facebook uh, figuring out what you like and feeding you so i had this conversation with deepak chopra because in his book better human he praises the future of ai and the future of meta human as kind of like the future of humanity in a good sense and i raised the question that this is opposite to the project to raise human consciousness through meditation because the the movement the consciousness movement that you are a part of that i am a part of and i, I felt deepak chopra is a part of is not like giving you an artificial externally stimulated way to feel high but to tap into the high feeling that's already built inside you there's a difference between anand and pleasure and and marishi when he was teaching tm he used to call it uh, he used to uh, he used to sh- contrast it with lsd because people in those days were taking drugs to feel high and and so he had to show that this is not the same thing as taking a drug to feel high it is not materially stimulated kind of a thing this is the high this is the anand bliss inside you already so you are you are tapping into the infinite and you're not making an artificial so this is my topic today right now i i want to understand with you where are you on this are you are you on the ca- in the camp that says that this future of bionics electronics inside us artificial intelligence will ki- because it will cure diseases it will monitor blood sugar and supply stuff the right way uh and it'll it'll get better agriculture better climate in the world maybe less violence or no violence is this uh future human being also kind of not a full organic being because it's now also got a lot of silicon intelligence in it is that a good thing or do you feel that the path of meditation and consciousness evol- evolution which the tradition says is the right thing because i see them in a collision course so i'd like to hear your views yeah my, my views are clear <clears throat> it's really <clears throat> understanding the meaning of life and the purpose of life that determines the answer to these uh, these very profound questions uh, of technology and human potential and if we are thinking that the purpose of life is this outer enjoyment or feeling good about oneself from the outer perspective that will never lead to fulfillment that will never lead to real happiness uh, because even if many many factors are controlled uh, the ultimate reality and the meaning of our life is to grow in consciousness that is really the understanding and paradigm from not only the vedic of course the vedic uh, perspective uh, but also from the logic and the reasoning that we can we can make out of what consciousness is what life is what material reality is 
we usually <clears throat> looking for more. The nature of the mind is to look for more. But we are always looking for more through the senses towards the outside. So usually we project ourselves into the world of senses, of sensory satisfaction, of pleasures, and all of that, which is very nice on its own level. But we are never satisfied. You know, you have the greatest billionaires and the greatest thinkers here and there and celebrities and all of that. And when you come to them and across them, you find that there is always something more they are searching for more, searching for more. And the reason is they are not looking within to experience the true value of life, the ultimate reality of the transcendent. Because the purpose of life is to grow in consciousness and that leads to greater happiness. This topic, of course, has been discussed in many movies. You know, the matrix is one of them. And one would wonder if one wants to be in the matrix, you know, and have just feel like life goes by experiencing things. One doesn't evolve like that. One evolves when one's deeper consciousness is awakened, when one is contacting the inner value of pure being, of the self, of wholeness, of that divine reality which is within us. And, you know, many traditions, not only Vedic tradition, have said that we are totality, we are Brahman, Aham Brahmasmi, Sarvam Kalvidam Brahm, Vedoham, and in the, you know, uh, ancient traditions uh, also of in, in, in Judaism, uh, you are uh, humans are made in the image of God, or uh, even in Islam says the divine is closer to you than your jugular vein. Uh, in Christianity, uh, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And all of these, the Tao, Buddhism, and all of that, they indicate that level of uh, inner value of Satchit Ananda within, of yoga within, of unity within. And that is because we are truly made in the image of the natural law that we discussed in the previous episode. We said that reality is consciousness, pure consciousness, but it has within it all the dynamics within itself by its own nature as being conscious to have all possibilities within it. We have also talked about the unified field of natural law. And what we are saying is our human structure, human physiology, as my research has shown under the guidance of Marishi, that our physiology is already structured like the dynamics of consciousness, that all the laws of nature are within us. The Vedas, which means the source of knowledge and understanding, is already structured in our physiology. And that joins those sayings that humans were made in the image of God, that Aham Brahmasmi, I am totality, I am wholeness, I am Brahman, that the kingdom of heaven within you, and all of these great sayings and wise teachings tell us that we already have within us what is needed. So my worries about this is that we would be disrupting that by forcing our natural evolution, ignoring that there is karma and wiping out uh, all those realities that we don't have to work on because suddenly we are distracted 
by different uh, inputs, like in the matrix, you know, forcing us to think in a way or do things in a certain way. And therefore, whereas there will be a surface kind of satisfaction, the life and the wholeness of life and its continuity are hammered and are not necessarily improved by these uh, realities. What we need is to transcend. We need to go beyond the surface level of the outer to the inner, to the unified field, which, as we said in the previous episode, contains all the variables and all the managing uh, intelligence to manage the entire universe. So we want to go to that field which is within us that manages the entire universe, aham brahmasmi, which goes, go to the self, back to the self, and don't disrupt that with outer values. Now, if there are outer values that can give information, that can give uh, direct knowledge of situation, expand our uh, ability to know what is there, that is fine. But to, uh, to manage uh, the situations and force things uh, is going to be a very dangerous undertaking if it is not kept under control. And it will not ultimately bring true fulfillment and fulfill the purpose of life to evolve and, and grow in consciousness. So it's a question of understanding what is the meaning of life as a whole, where we're going, uh, is there continuity, is there karma, uh, is there possibility to do uh, you know, something from consciousness level in a pure natural way or not. And my feeling and my experience is that we can truly get to that nirvana we talked about in the beginning also in the previous two sessions or the first one and where we have samadhi we have settled in being where we can see things from a holistic perspective where we can understand true reality of life where we can know that we are unbounded pure consciousness and that is where we will have the ultimate peace and joy Otherwise, it will be jerking around on surface values. And by the time even this is functional and operative, I mean, there will be possibilities of a lot of uh, difficulties on the way. And even then, at the end, uh, it will be disrupting the basic structure of life. So using it as medicinal part, using it as information part can have a value but ultimately it should not impinge on the inner reality, the inner freedom and fullness of life that we can live and that we have the machinery already to be able to live and experience. Wonderful. So I feel that uh, this whole AI and bionics and uh, you know, putting neural network interventions and all that, machine learning, is a sort of a yantra. So the question is, who controls the yantra and what is their level of consciousness? So you could have a Rakshas. Right. Rakshas, Ravana was very uh, scientific and technologically advanced fellow. He had a lot of knowledge, but he had a Rakshas mind to do certain, to use it in a certain way. So uh, if, the, if you look at the present level of humankind's ego, it's selfish, it's uh, tribal, uh, it's uh, it's uh, you know greed, 
accumulation, uh, zero-sum game if I can exploit you and get more for myself. And, you know, it's very obvious when you look at the billionaires are bigger, richer, more of them than ever before in history. Uh, there's more, if you look at the top 1% of wealth today compared to the total uh, to bottom 50%, that gap is more than it was, you know, pre previously. So the rich are getting richer and they're not satisfied. They still want more. And so now what you, so the, the level of humankind's ego has not evolved a whole lot. And I'm talking about the people who are the powers of powers of humanity in politics and in business and so on. Yes, there is a big spiritual movement and you are part of it and that's fantastic. And that movement needs time and it has its own process. And it has come a long way in the last uh, half century in the world because uh, thanks to the movements like the Maharishi movement, things are, you know, so many more people know about these things that we're talking about. So many more meditators. Maharishi himself, his movement uh, initiated several million people in TM. So that's a, that's a huge accomplishment. But at the same time, when you look at where is the power, the power to control this big yantra and, and use it for all kinds of purposes, that power is in the hands of egos that are no better than the tribal ego. That still greed is there. There's still that you know, tendency to... Uh, I mean, they're more sophisticated in the sense they can talk about it nicely. They have PR and they can be very you know, humane and they can talk about environmentalism and human rights and all that. But when, when it comes down to it, it's all about how to maximize and optimize your advertising revenue, how to get more people excited by your product and have more minutes of eyeball time. Then you can sell that to your sponsors. So how to figure out what will Dr. Nader or Rajiv want to watch and feed them that and manipulate them to spend more time so you can, bu you can buy their mind share and sell it to somebody. So all of that is basically how the world is being run. So, so in theory, I would like that the technology continue but be in the hands of people who are spiritually elevated and who have a higher level of consciousness and who are responsible. But, you know, when you look at the way the world is, the power of the machines and the destruction and the weapons and all of that is not necessarily in the hands of people who know how to, how to be very responsible for humanity. They're, they're very egotistical and very selfish, very tribal and clannish. So, therefore, given the reality of human state of consciousness in terms of evolution, not being where we would like it to be, I think the sudden arrival of this massive AI machine learning and, and uh, supercomputing and all and this uh, quantum computing and this, uh, you know, electronic neural networks in artificially planted in you and monitoring you and controlling you on a global dashboard. Imagine, uh, 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 you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's big dashboard, uh, you know, he can click anything, anybody, any community, any uh, country, he can zoom it down to an individual and put the settings and that's how that person's life becomes. I mean, this is like a, this is like a tyranny of sorts that we could head for. We could head towards. So yes, yes. As ethic, as people who are looking at ethics from a spiritual point of view, it should be a matter of concern. So, isn't there a need for spiritual people to have a 
an organization or a think tank or some forums to talk about spiritual, uh, you know, a kind of a call to self-regulation or some kind of a rules of ethics or some kind of a, a standards. Uh, because I don't think that that industry will self-regulate from a spiritual point of view. They will talk about it, but their mandates, the shareholders are expecting them to keep producing profits and uh, their mandates are growth and they're looking for how to do this better and better. I think this fourth industrial revolution is heading towards a recolonization of the world between haves and have-nots, a few nations very rich and a lot of people very poor and even within the same country. Some people will be oligarchs and others will be kind of managed by them. So what do you think of the responsibility of spiritual people in this kind of a space to, to, to make sure we cannot stop this technology, but how to appeal to the leaders and, and how to evolve their consciousness so that there is greater responsibility? Well, there are, of course, <clears throat> the usual approach, which is information, discussion, like we discuss and think about it, and intellectual analysis. But this is, in my opinion, a slower approach and not as effective because people can have priorities, as you beautifully mentioned, uh, that overtake their moral judgment and their uh, empathy and compassion, uh, you know, unfortunately. And then they are motivated by gain. And when gain comes, they can rationalize their decisions. Even if they are having the best intentions originally, they get taken over by these uh, uh, instinctive kind of almost reactions uh, due to uh, poor awareness, poor understanding of the long-term benefits for themselves and for society and for humanity as a whole. And to do that, what we need is to actually increase consciousness and broaden consciousness, which is not just on the information level, but on the actual of, uh, level of practice. We go back to uh, consciousness as something that we have that can be limited because of stress and strain and fear and uh, prejudice that narrows our perception of what is good and what is bad and allows us to compute only from the perspective of very small number of parameters. Whereas if we broaden our consciousness, which is actually transcend, actually go back to the self, to that field which is not limited on the surface. So if we say the mind is like an ocean and it's active on its surface, there are waves on the surface. If we are floating on the surface, we only see the waves and the differences. But if we can go to the source of thought, the source of intelligence, which is the bottom of the ocean of the mind, where we transcend, which means we go beyond the surface and reach that field of pure consciousness, pure being, then we can think and act from a much more long-term, holistic, complete perspective. And we can see more variables, much more variables in our awareness intuitively, which means we don't have to be uh, robotically guided, uh, but automatically when we are established on that field of broad understanding and broad consciousness, our intuitions, our desires, 
you know, like the great rishis and wise people that we go to, they're not necessarily experienced in artificial intelligence or mathematics or physics or anything specific. They are deep in themselves and that self is the self of everything. It's the self of the universe. And it opens the awareness to wiser perspective, broader understanding, uh, more caring, more understanding for the benefit of all over the longest period of time, not just immediate satisfaction of desires and needs on the short term, uh, forgetting the holistic, complete perspective of being part of a society, being part of life as a whole that allows us to grow. And so what we need is really, I mean, I say it very simply, not just you know, because I am part of this program that I learned from Marishi, but because of scientific conviction. What we need is for people simply to practice transcendental meditation, practice the advanced techniques of transcending, practice it together. And then we have seen repeatedly and scientifically that the individuals are better, that society is better, that there is reduction in crime, reduction in conflict, and decision-making is in the direction of evolution for wholeness, where people can really completely continue to have their desires fulfilled on a personal level, but they can see also the well-being of society for their own benefits, the benefits of the next generation, and for our world to continue in a healthy and happy way towards uh, higher evolution and higher states of being and fulfillment ultimately. So Dr. Nader, I think we have an amazing uh, resonance and meeting of the minds. So is there a way we can work together? I, I mean, I would love to, especially in this new challenge of AI and uh, uh, the intervention into the human brain to create meta-humans and transhumans and post-humans, the ethical dimensions from a spiritual point of view. Right now, the ethical dimensions are being looked at from a physical human rights point of view. Will it give more food? You know, can you administer uh, equality? Can you have algorithms where you allocate, uh, you know, governance better? But the, none of that really has anything to do with raising the quality of consciousness of the person. Uh, so, so people right. from higher consciousness will make different decisions uh, than people from lower consciousness even if they have the same data, the same information. So how to do exactly. that is a very big challenge, especially with, in light of this new power, this new yantra that has come out. So I would like to find ways that we can collaborate uh, after this three-part series, which has been a pleasure for me, and I really am very grateful to you. But I, beyond just this informational thing, I would love to collaborate. I am very fond of the Maharishi organization. I think it's one of the most amazing 50 year last 50 years untold story of bringing ancient wisdom into the whole world uh, uh, Maharishi deserves a far more recognition and credit than uh, people have given uh, and so I would love it to uh, work together with you on this it will be my pleasure and joy and I'm looking forward we can talk more and uh, connect and uh, see how uh, and the mechanisms of how to make it happen. Beautiful. Thank you for wonderful I, I know. meetings and discussions.
Yes, I know uh, Candice in uh, uh, Fairfield and a few others who are there, who are the leaders in your organization, and I've stayed in touch with them. Uh, and uh, uh, so I will also continue. I was actually pleasantly surprised when I got an email from your office uh, because I think they'd seen some of my videos and they thought that, okay, you, both of you have similar uh, you know, interests. <laughs> and maybe the, uh, I, It was an email out of nowhere. Because I'd been thinking for a long time, and every time I talk to Candice, she says, you know, you should talk to Dr. Nader. And I said, okay, yeah, we should do that. But suddenly, out of nowhere, this email comes from your assistant who says, you know, uh, uh, she's uh, uh, contacting me on your behalf and thinks that we should talk together. And I, I immediately said, yes, I want to do this. I've wanted for a long time. So somehow the universe thought this would be a good idea. And, and here we are. And I, I feel that... Uh, once this COVID allows us, we should physically get together in some place and discuss what all we can do. Maybe I'll bring some, some of my team members uh, and we can come up with some concrete action plans. Wonderful. Let's do that. It's great. It has been absolutely a delight and a pleasure.